Imagine feeling a bit poorly, going to the doctor, they look you over, reach for the prescription pad and write, spend some time in nature. That's a prescription that you hopefully your employer would honour. It's already happening in the US, the UK, Canada, and there's increasing interest in it here. You're going to hear from two people now who research the benefits of getting outdoors. Professor Xiao Chi Feng has co-authored a study called Need and Interest in Nature Prescriptions to Protect Cardiovascular and Mental Health. She works at the University of New South Wales. Xiao Chi, welcome. Good morning, Hilary. Great to have you here. And Dr Anita Pryor is with us too. She's Director of AdventureWorks Australia. She's a practitioner and researcher in bush adventure therapy. Anita, hello. Hi there. Good morning. Uh, Xiao Chi, I'll start with you. What does the research tell us about spending time in nature? What does it do for us physically and mentally? Uh, we found that nature prescription can really increase in uh, walking and uh, reduce depression and anxiety and also uh, lower blood pressure. Um, and we particularly find that this results was stronger um, if the nature prescriptions were issued or referred by a health professional, uh, which is usually for people with things like diabetes or depression. That's really interesting. So it had a bigger effect if the doctor told you to go and do it. I was wondering why people might not just go and spend some time in nature themselves. We all know it's good for us, don't we? Absolutely. You know, my research in the last uh, over 10 years shows that how green space and uh, could benefit our house from mental and physical health. But the reality is that I, I, I can see there are at least two major barriers for people. Uh, one is the accessibility. Uh, they may not have the nature environment for them to access. Um, for example, some of the neighborhood may not have green space they can walk to. Um, but I think this part is improving in Australia, uh, especially during the pandemic. A lot of people, uh, many of us have the demands using outdoor space and being in nature and the government is investing in the green infrastructure. But the other part is also um, people may not feeling uh, naturally connected and they find not much interesting things to do in the nature. Um, because from my national survey in the last couple of years during the pandemic, um, one third of Australian uh, does not spend um, uh, even two hours a week in nature. Well, when, uh, when so, we talk about nature, yeah. Xiao Chi, what kinds of environments are we talking about? Does it need to be you know, right in the wilderness or can a little patch of green in the city work just as well? Absolutely. Um, the nature we're talking about, it could be parks, you know, a local pocket park in your neighborhood, but it could be a community garden. Um, but obviously, it could be something a lot bit bigger, like blue mountains or lakes uh, or beaches. Um, so it's a worse combination. Um, that's why I think we need to understand better how we can provide customized nature prescription um, to our uh, participants and patients and also uh, make the most of use uh, from the environment that they are already surrounded. Well, yes. Do they need to just be kind of plonked in that environment or do they need to be doing something in it? Do they need to be being active as well? Um, I think it just really depends. Uh, we all probably have this experience after a long day walk um, and feel exhausted and uh, maybe 
you know, quite tired and uh, uh, feel very low. And when we get into a park, we're just sitting down and close our eyes or looking the beautiful views, hear the bird sounds. And uh, probably after, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and we probably feel quite refreshed. I certainly have that experience. I didn't do much, um, but I restored uh, my mind. But on the other side, you might need to do something. So, uh, a lot of people going to the parks to jogging, physical activity, uh, walk around, or um, simply just um, be with friends doing some community garden. Uh, so it really depends that uh, what um, the patient or the participants they are looking for. Um, so it's not just a one answer. Yes, I noticed the RACGP are in favour of this idea of exploring nature prescriptions further and saying it could be anything from a directive to sit in a park today for a day and listen to the birds or, or go walking or gardening or swimming or more formal kind of outdoor exercise classes. We're speaking with Professor Xiao Chi Feng, who's uh, been studying the effect of nature on mental health and physical health at the University of New South Wales. And Dr Anita Pryor, who works in adventure therapy, in particular bush adventure therapy in Australia. Uh, Anita, what is adventure therapy, just for people who aren't familiar with the concept? Yes, Hilary, in a nutshell, it um, engages people's bodies, minds, hearts and social relations in a nature context. So four key elements are generally combined in bush adventure therapy for a range of health and wellbeing outcomes from um, general health promotion aims, the benefits of nature, the benefits of being with people, the benefits of care, right through to clinical treatment where bush adventure therapy and other outdoor health practices are used for specific diagnosed illnesses and specific diagnosed social behavioural um, difficulties. So I'm assuming this is this is up the opposite end of the spectrum from just sitting into a par- in a park and listening to birds. Are there particular uh, activities that fall under the umbrella of bush adventure mm. therapy? It sounds it sounds challenging and active in in words and and you're right it can be that. It's also can be very gentle, low key sitting being together and. Um, the Australian Association for Bush Adventure Therapy, which has been around for 15 years, is moving to be called Outdoor Health Australia. And we, are, we see our umbrella, including some 35 evidence-informed nature-based health practices from the gentle, passive and sitting outdoor counselling, for example, through to walk and talk therapy or walk and talk counselling through to the many outdoor adventure activities that are being used for therapy and healing all around Australia. You know, to mention Aboriginal cultural healing on country has been around for millennia and um, Aboriginal people have known and never forgotten the benefits and we learn and are informed by those practices as well as, you know, contemporary research and new- neuroscience, which is backing up the benefits of these activities in nature. Yes, yeah, as we've been hearing from Professor Xiao Chi Feng just today as well on Life Matters. Anita, uh, you mentioned a different approach to counselling, having it outdoors or, or while walking and talking. Is, is there a gendered aspect to that? Does it work better for some genders than others? Um, a meta-analysis by Daniel Bowen back in 2016 demonstrated that in adventure therapy, the um, all all ages and demographic and gender identities benefited, um, but 
women particularly 50 plus benefited the most so that's not to say that it doesn't benefit young people and young boys and men it does it certainly does and let's um, remember that it it benefits everyone and it can be engaging for all genders and identities where it has a special role to play with young men and adult men potentially in rural Australia where they're not accessing or not able to access the indoor counselling or the clinical options available in urban areas, outdoor adventure therapy and outdoor counselling or fishing and chatting could play a key role for those that either can't access mainstream health care options or don't want to and can't sit in four walls, of which there are many. Yes, indeed. Uh, We're speaking with Dr Anita Pryor, who's a a researcher and practitioner in bush adventure therapy, and Professor Xiao-Chi Feng, who's been researching the many benefits of being out in nature, whether you're just sitting and listening or being more active, for mental and physical health. And, you know, some might say emotional and spiritual health too. Xiao-Chi Feng, you mentioned earlier some of the barriers that people might find to going out into nature and, and that being an argument for why you might need more of a formal prescription model for for primary health carers to recommend that people go and do this. But, I mean, a lot of those barriers would still exist, wouldn't they? Transport, money, work, other responsibilities. We can't all go bush regularly. Is this a a kind of slightly elitist therapy? Um, Hila, very good questions. Um, There still have a lot of barriers for people to access. So, for example, a national park is great, um, but most of the national park is quite far. People probably need a car to get there rather than by public transport. And also there's a fee to pay. So I know like in Canada, uh, they have over 10,000 GPs signed up for issue nature prescription where organization called PACS. But they also was able to negotiate with their National Park Foundation to get free National Park Pass uh, for their patients and participants. Um, so we actually in Australia um, going to run one of the quite large trial shortly uh, called Panda physical activity in nature for people with cardiometabolic diseases aged 45 and over, which is co-led by myself and also with Professor Thomas Estelbert at the University of Wollongong. So this is where we really would like to learn more where our trial study, what are the barriers and how we can uh, overcome it, uh, which we would like to co-design the nature prescription with our participants, uh, the consumers, and also health professionals, and also nature practitioners. Um, so I hope that if anyone who is listening to this uh, program and uh, you are a potential participant or uh, a health professional uh, or nature practitioners, please get in contact with us. Uh, and you can contact me by my email or our website, uh, powerlab.site. Powerlab.site, is that it? Yeah, P-O-W-E-R-L-A-B dot I-S-I-T-E. Um, there is a short EOI form if your participant interested to join the Nature Prescription, uh, you can feel. Wow, if you're interested in that trial, powerlab.site, powerlab.site to sign up for Professor Xiaoqi Cheng's research there. Uh, Anita Pryor, that question of expense applies to adventure therapy too, doesn't it? I understand mm. that you're, you're trying to find ways to make it more accessible. Tell us about that. 
Yes, um, great to hear about Shaochi's study too, fantastic. Um, so accessible, one of the things that a group of uh, our volunteers are doing is um, launching a National Outdoor Health Australia service directory in early May, which uh, provides information about local outdoor health providers near you. So that's an access. Um, we're, we're trying to help increase access in that way. And that's everything from um, Parks Victoria, which has health and wellbeing walks identified in parks for self-guided wellbeing walks through to um, uh, facilitated therapeutic experiences, facilitated integrative counselling and therapy experiences and up to treatment and clinical approaches. And so finding an outdoor health provider near you is one way we hope to increase access. Another is um, lots of outdoor health providers already uh, can access NDIS funding for NDIS registered clients. So that's one avenue where people can gain funding and financial support to engage in these approaches if they need that. And um, a team at University of Tasmania are working on a trial which we hope will compare indoor counselling with outdoor counselling and indoor passive group work to outdoor active group work for uh, mental health outcomes. And we're hoping to take that sort of trial and build evidence as Xiaoqi Feng is doing to um, show that with a couple of randomised control trials in the right direction, we would hope that the RACGP and other key bodies would uh, include outdoor health as a as a non-drug non, um, treatment intervention. So uh, be included, ultimately, this is our horizon line, I guess, uh, included in the Medicare benefits scheme uh, based on research, evidence and outcomes. Yeah, there's some amazing texts coming in. This is from Angela in Wiradjuri country. She says, I was a volunteer in a psychology experiment at the ANU in the late 1990s where students who liked walking would make themselves available at a set time each week to walk with a specific student who was suffering from chronic depression. She says, my role was a passive one, just turn up at their residence once a week and offer them the opportunity to walk out in the natural world. I was so amazed at the positive results for the students with chronic depression that I instituted the same system for my teenage daughter when she became deeply depressed in her late teens. That's from Angela. I guess, I mean, if we're looking at offering nature therapy and uh, guided activities in nature that are, have this specific aim of increasing mental health and physical well-being, we'd want to know that people were adequately trained, wouldn't we? Dr Anita Pryor, what sort mm. of training is needed to deliver these kinds of programs to make sure they're safe for participants? Yes, great question. Well, one um, bar, if you like, for clinical therapeutic work would be like headspace clinicians. You have a, a level of counselling or therapy training that is usually three to four years in length and supervised hours of clinical practice. So that's for when we're calling our work counselling or therapy with a big T. That's the, the minimum baseline. But we tend to work with cross-disciplinary teams and we really value um, people with youth work backgrounds, community development, Aboriginal cultural knowledge holders, of course, and um, a range of other training pathways into the field, including outdoor adventure guides in Tasmania who can make, make wonderful um, therapeutic safe uh, practitioners for this kind of work in these places. So we are really into broad um, disciplines, but a 
certainly a level of clinical care and supervision. For yeah, that oversight. Uh, yep. Professor Xiaoqi Feng, do you think that we need to make sure this industry is well regulated? Um, I think this is why uh, the nature prescription currently is uh, usually issued by a health professional uh, or social worker um, because they know their patients very well. Obviously, you know, a person, if they already um, exposure to nature allows and no problem. Um, just like if we're eating healthily, we may not going to find advice um, or a, a professional advice from a dietitian. However, there will be people, um, they may have, for example, mobility issue. Uh, they may have a heart disease. So uh, maybe a running uh, in the forest is not for them. So there will be other ways that they could benefit from nature. So this is why I think uh, the nature prescription uh, should be issued uh, by a health professional, social worker, or a trained uh, professional. So make sure uh, that we do this safely and correctly. Yes, indeed. And Dr. Anita Pryor, you told my producer that ironically you don't get out in nature much anymore, too busy with indoor work, but you're, you're out there today, aren't you? What's it like? Yes, yeah, literally with the Tasmania East Coast, it's gorgeous, sun shining, birds tweeting, waves crashing. Oh, um, lovely. Lucky, yeah. We'll take that with us, I think, throughout our days. <laughs> Anita Xiaoqi, thank you both so much for joining us on Life Matters today. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks, Thank Hillary. you, Thanks, Hilary. Enjoy your day. You too. Professor Xiaoqi Feng researches nature prescriptions in the School of Population Health at the University of New South Wales. That website she mentioned before, if you want to be part of her clinical trial, powerlab.site, S-I-T-E. And Dr. Anita Pryor, Director of Adventure Works Australia. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.